0: Hello and welcome to another episode of Fountain City Sports Media, a podcast made by Kansas City fans for Kansas City fans. My name's Reese and alongside my good friend, the KC kid, Noah Metzger, we are live at Casa Metzger for this episode. Uh, our good friend Hatek Mondo is on the road right now. He's making his way out to Cooperstown for the summer where he will be singing with the Glimmerglass Festival. So Noah again has graciously offered to step in for this week's podcast. Noah, thank you so much for having us over. How are you doing today, man? Oh, uh, you're welcome. I'm good. I'm just, you know,
1: enjoying this rainy weather again. So, you know. No, I'm I'm excited. What Salvi's what? Third in All-Star voting right now? Is he really? He was. The other I think yesterday. So su- he he's he's climbing.
0: I'd be super excited if he was third in MVP I, voting.
1: Well, they haven't MVP voted yet, right? Have they? Uh, I mean no, not even close, like yeah, yeah. Mid season MVP, but yeah. I mean, the way he's going <laughs> We'll see. It's one There's always a, you know, there's always a silver lining, Reese.
0: Always a silver lining. We love silver linings. Did you ever see silver linings playbook? I haven't. I need to see that movie. I, I've heard I, it. I've heard it's really, really, really good. I haven't seen that either. Actually, it's it's what it's Bradley Cooper and Jennifer uh, Lawrence, Jennifer Lawrence. And yep.
1: And Robert De Niro, I believe. Really? I really like almost. Yeah, I know. Like almost. all. Yeah, I think. Yeah, I think De Niro is in it, too. But yeah, a bunch of Oscars and, and stuff. When I think Oscars were what credible, yeah,
0: something about that I could get into that. <laughs> well, anyway, uh, what have you been up to this week, man? It's been, it's been like, geez, close to a month since we last saw each other.
1: Oh, it's been a while. Um, I just uh, I switched jobs. Oh yeah, yeah. So uh, that's that's cool. Uh, everywhere's hiring, so you know, I I didn't like my job, so I was like, well, I'll go get a different one, and I did. So. That's cool. I'm working in a restaurant now and, you know, just uh, waiting for this Rick and Morty episode to drop. Oh, man. And I've been relaxing, Reese, just just, just keeping a low profile. It's been hot out
0: there, man. I'm not trying to go out there in that heat. It's been really hot. It's like super hot, super humid. And like the only reason it's raining right now is that like the sky can't hold any more humidity. (laughs) It's crying. Oh, my gosh. The cumulonimbus is so, so heavy. Yeah. It's crazy, man. Well, anyway, uh, just a few quick shout-outs before we really get into the meat of today's episode. If uh, You can find us on Instagram at FountainCitySM. You can find us on Twitter at FountainCitySM. You can find us on Facebook at FountainCitySM. And you can find us on Patreon at... <gasps> patreon.com backslash fcsm surprise surprise there you will find exclusive content including outtakes bonus episodes and exclusive beer reviews speaking of exclusivity right now i am in studio with noah metzger and we are excited to bring you some updates on the kansas city royals i don't know if excited is the right word i feel like excited (laughs) brings the connotation of like joy elation something you can't wait to do this is a. Uh, this can be pulling teeth. It hasn't been so hot. It hasn't been so
1: hot. <sighs> uh, like I said, you have Salvador Perez' wit's starting to really kick it into gear. There's some things to like, but yeah, there's not a lot to to be positive about. Uh, you know, this team kind of had us fooled for a bit, and now I think they're showing that. I don't know, I don't know specifically if it's a mental thing or what it is, but they're just, you know, they're, they're in their own, they're in their own heads or or whatever. And they can't, you know, they can't figure out how to win a ball game anymore. And especially
0: against Texas, man, like Texas is not a good team. What's super frustrating is the fact that during that 11 game losing streak, afterwards, they then went 13 and 6, winning some pretty tight series and tight games against good teams. So you're thinking, well, maybe we're going to be about 500 this year, sniff the wild card positioning, maybe, and it's just going to be like a roller coaster from here to the end of the season. Well, following that, we then lost 10 of 11 to a bunch of not great teams we said, "Well, okay, well maybe like the second half of that 13-6 runs yeah. coming. Maybe we'll go like, you know, 10 and 3 or something like that." But it has not been that way. If you would have told me that this team would
1: go 15 and 7 and 13 and 6 at two separate times in the beginning, in the first half of the season, and we're in last place right now, tied for last place right yep. now, I would've been like, "What?" But then also I've been like, "Well, the Royals really haven't produced anything in the last few years, but we were so optimistic about the start. We have had everybody, we had everybody healthy. I mean, Benintendi hasn't played in what a lot and Mondesi's out again, right? Mondesi's like, out again with yeah. a different oblique strain. Yeah, so I mean, we're 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 hobbled, and I feel like you know we can't we can't get out of our own heads. And you say that, like, what, we lost 11 in a row and then we lost 10 of 11? It's, yep. this, is, this is the hottest hot team and the coldest cold team.
0: Yep. So many extremes, it's insane. Well, unfortunately, they can't seem to, like, pick which one they are, and I find it so weird that they can't... There's no level of consistency even in their poor play. <laughs> I mean, okay, fine. The, the starting pitching and the young guns we're going to talk about have not been good. That's, like, the one consistent thing, be it good, be it bad. But... Just going back, so Armando and I obviously talked through what we saw coming in June and, you know, saying what we had to see happen with the series. Remember when we did that? Yes. So let's just walk you through some things here. We said they had to sweep the Pirates. They swept the Pirates. Two of three, or splitting with the Twins. They took two of four against the Twins. But then the bottom completely fell out. They got three games swept by the Angels in a series we all want to forget. They took the first game and then dropped three straight at Oakland. They got swept by Detroit in a three-game series for the second time this year. But then things maybe started looking like they might turn around. We had that series against Boston where we took two of three. We took the first game against New York and we're a hair's breadth away from taking game two against New York until we ultimately dropped that series. And then finally, we got three games swept by the Rangers. I, You know, the road trip to the point where what we
1: were about to win the second game in New York was going pretty well, wasn't it? It was. Like, yeah, we were we were handling New York. We were, and then I was watching it. You know, like a like I said, uh, I don't know what the count was, but a fastball right down the middle to roguedo door, and and that was it. The series was completely switched over. We couldn't play the next day. couldn't Couldn't win a game after that. We, I don't know if it broke us down completely because it. Ever since that, it seems like one moment just makes these guy just breaks these guys.
0: Yeah. That's a very good point because that first 11-game losing streak happened right in the middle of that Cleveland series when they were so close to putting that series and the win away, and then things melted down because of the umpires and Angel Hernandez. Remember that? Oh, man. I I, I watched that live as well, and let me tell you. Actually, I think I
1: listened to it on the radio and then watched it live, and just that was that was on. First off, Angel Hernandez how does he still have a job as a major league umpire? Uh, That's not, to my knowledge, that is uh, one of many issues he's had. Yeah. Well, okay. Like it's a union job. So, yep. Anyway, that broke us completely. That broke, that brought down everything that brought down the walls completely. Like we were just like, I mean, yeah. Matheny got thrown out and, I think I said on the last podcast was on
0: is like I was surprised that they didn't rally around that. Yeah, and that's another good point because that's the, uh, the the Rubicon moment when, or the Nexus event, if you will, when Brady Singer lost his cool oh for the season. Man. Yes, that is definitely a Loki shout, our Loki mention right there. I'd like I to believe like Angel Hernandez goes back to the dugout and he does that like green transforming thing. And it's just like Loki the whole time or a scroll or something like that. Yeah. Or it was Agatha (laughs) all along. Yeah, it was Agatha. (laughs) I was like, Loki's more of a protagonist right now. It's very true. It's very true. Uh, I just want to let you guys know we're also a Disney podcast now.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Reese and I are both huge Marvel nerds, and the show Loki has just been killing it so far. It's been a bright spot. Even Dan Harmon, who lost his head writer from Rick and Morty, is saying that he's grit on the edge of his seat watching it, and so. Anyway, back to baseball. Back
0: to baseball. We have to
1: talk about base. We have to talk about the Royals. We can't veer off into Loki and
0: Rick and Morty and all the things we want to talk about. As much as I'd like to, very good point. (laughs) So, as I said earlier, we've had one constant in the good and one constant in the bad, and that has been the fact that our starting pitching has been incredibly consistently poor. Yeah. I'm, I'm not going to tiptoe around anymore. Danny Duffy being the, the lone bright spot in this. But even then, he can't stay healthy, unfortunately. He's older. He's, he's, he's older. He's older. He's older. He's got a 1.81 ERA, which is fantastic. But, you know, it's when, when he's the only one doing that, and he's the only other one in the bullpen with a sub-5 ERA at the moment. Mm-hmm. Excuse me, not the bullpen. The starting rotation with the sub-5 ERA. Just not going to get it done. Brady's... Brady's almost there. I think he's at four seven nine right now. Oh, okay, so he's he's just ticked it back under five under five. Yes. Okay. Well, I'll take that. Unfortunately, as I have been beating the drum on all season, I have some very unfortunate stats to share with you. Are, are you ready for this? Yes, I am, unfortunately. Now, none of these should come to a surprise as a surprise to you. They really shouldn't. Uh let's just kick it off right here. Our pitchers have the worst walk rate in the American League. Oh man. I fully believe that. I fully believe that, and coming right on that heels is the fact that they have the fewest amount of first-pitch strikes in the American League. Coming after that, they have the third-fewest pitches in the strike zone in the American League. Now, all three of those go hand-in-hand, and it comes back to what I've been talking about all season, which I don't know if this is a Cal Eldred thing. I think it has to be at a certain point. They are playing with their food. They're not throwing strikes. I don't know if it's because they don't trust their stuff or they're being coached to try and get these major league batters to kind of like play around, you know, and chase these pitches outside of the zone. But we're also having a stat that's showing that we are throwing the most direct down-the-center pitches in the strike zone from any other team. So the equation right here is... With major league level hitting, they're throwing pitches that are obviously outside the zone, and nobody's biting. Mm-hmm. And anybody with an iota of patience in the majors is going to say, "All right, the minute they throw in in the strike zone, I know, like I know it's going to be in the strike zone. I'm just going to yeah. crush it." It's like when you were playing the uh, the show earlier, like when you predict the pitch, you're like, "It's going to be a fastball up, and it blinks red as soon as you know the throw goes off." Yeah, that's what it must be looking like to them. Like, okay, fastball down the center, boosh, bye. Yeah, yeah. <sighs>
1: I mean, uh, you know. I want to think that it's because a lot of our pitchers are younger. I want to think that, you know, it's because it, we've been free falling and everybody just, you know, everybody f- uh, fails together, you know, sinks together, whatever. But Cal Eldred, had, like, <sighs> our pitch. Here's my thing, okay? It's not about just. Cal Eldred. It's not just about who who's our hitting coach now? Uh, Terry Bradshaw. Terry Bradshaw? I kid you not. His name is Terry okay, Bradshaw. Okay, Terry Bradshaw. It's about the fact that from the point where Ned Yost was manager with this team and we had, I couldn't tell you who our assistant coaches were, but I knew him back then. That's for sure. Swem was our hitting coach. Mm-hmm. For the World Series year, and... Island was our pitching coach, right? Island was our pitching coach, and I'm pretty sure that Island was going out there, and he was an elite pitching coach, if I'm not mistaken. Not one of the, you know, the one that the Yankees and you know, the Red Sox and all the Dodgers, whatever, those guys that... Because they're always going to have the top-notch prospect, scouts and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. But we had... we he, he hired two coaches who had success. I think Swam was kind of a swing... And, you know, we hit. We hit with it. Mm -hmm. Island was established, if I'm not mistaken, and was teaching or was preaching control and working the corners and not letting your own. Once you throw a ball, it's, you know, just make sure that you're always putting yourself in an ability to throw the next strike, you know, and you're not in a three, two, three, one count. Mm hmm. Over that year, the years since we since 2015, 2016, whenever he left, we have hired no one that has developed our talent, our younger talent, our potential talent like O'Hearn and McBroom, who probably could develop into uh, good starters, maybe all stars. Who knows? For some reason, Dayton Moore and this organization refuses to go out and try and get the best position coaching available or to know to see that no one in our organization is developing brady singer right now is three and six with a 479 era right but I also believe that his run support is just... He's the Oliver of our pitching staff. Just like, can I please have some more runs? <laughs> you know, he's uh, hes constantly having to scratch and battle. And, and he has control issues. He's 24 years old. He's figuring out, you know, just like they said, what, 1,500 at-bats for a major league hitter. There's a certain amount of innings a pitcher needs, needs to pitch. But I see... Ridiculously good stuff out of him. His sinker is just, he could be, oh, I'm trying to think. Scherzer doesn't have a sinker, but there's, Holiday? There's some elite, like he has that type of like sinker where you're just like, maybe it's Nola from uh, Philly. He's (laughs) an elite pitcher right now, and he relies on a a changeup and a sinker. And if I'm not mistaken, oh, and slider. Yeah. He has the curveball, but Brady has a good slider, a great changeup, and a great sinker and the tools to be a number one starter. But he's struggling because we don't know what Cal Eldred's saying to these guys. We don't know what's being preached. This team has to go out and find people that give results, that that show that these players are growing. In the minor leagues right now, there is a silver lining for this team uh, because we still have multiple year contracts. Bobby Witt's going to come up. Nick Prado's going to come up, Lynch, Ace Lacy eventually, probably not, you know, after everybody else. But still, we're going to have Coar, we're going to have Lynch up. They're all going to be up there. We ha- we need m- mediocre production out of them. Mediocre production out of them. And then they can take these veterans and these players that we already have who are established major leaguers and who are producing, you know, Numbers are down right now. Santana. Solaire. Mm-hmm. Solar. Mm-hmm. <laughs> We're not gonna get into that. I, I've been ranting for a minute, but you know, that's my my whole point is that unless this we we paid the play, we paid the players,
0: right? We went out, we spent money on the players. Go out and find coaching that works. Yeah, I agree. And I like what you're talking about with the young pitchers. And I think we should focus on them first and foremost. You know, we've we talked in this podcast ad nauseum. If you want to say like the, the fab five of that 2018 draft, we've seen four of them so far. We've seen Brady Singer, Chris Bubich, uh, Daniel Lynch, and Jackson Kowar. And normally we say good, bad, and ugly, but I don't even think we can say good, bad, and ugly in this. I think we can say like presentable, bad, and just <laughs> straight awful. And Brady Singer, like you've talked about, he's shown flashes of some things. You know, his his mental game's not quite there. He's prone to his emotions still. But we've seen it in his pitching. He's got some tools to do some things. The frustrating thing is this year, it doesn't look like he's taking a step forward. Yeah, He's still the dude he was last year where it's yeah. like, I'm not sure what I'm going to get with this guy. Whereas the what we've seen from his ceiling right now, it should be whenever he shows up in the rotation, I'm like, okay, this is going to be a two and a half to four and a half inning out. Like a... Run outing from Singer. That's what the watermark breaks is. my heart. That's the four, but it's it's not happening. Still, it's just not. He's still too much in probably that like four to six runs per game range, and he's also not going farther into games. Man, he's only averaging a little over four innings per outing right now, which isn't gonna cut it. It's hurting our bullpen, hurting those arms, etc., etc., etc. He pitched five,
1: struck out five, gave up two earned uh, yesterday which Mm -hmm. is some improvement. Yeah. But you're right, Reese. The fact of the matter is that Brady Singer is an elite pitching prospect probably should be an established number one for us with, you know, as much the the talent that we have in our starting rotation right now. And he's like you said, he's mentally, uh, I'm not going to say weak, but he, his head, he's in his head and, at that point it's like there's got, if you're a major league coach and mm-hmm. you're tell, talking to your players you can't be saying the same thing over and over again and if your message isn't getting through to these guys then it, it either here, here but here's the flip side of that coin race we have a whole other half of the season to to, to see right to, yeah. to joyfully watch <laughs> unless you don't have ballet. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> We're not going to get into that. So we should do a whole podcast on how much that infuriates me. Because, well, we can't even get sporting games now. Like, they had it on ESPN the other night. Same thing, uh, yeah, LA man. In and sporting, but... Anyway... um
0: lost my train of thought. (laughs) Well, let me help you back into the train of thought. We were just talking about uh, Brady Singer and how he's just kind of like stalled in his progression this year, which isn't the end of the world, but he's playing more like some guy's number four, when in reality, he should be like some guy's soft number two right now. Yeah, there you go. Moving on to Chris Bubich, though, it's the same thing with Bubich. His control is everywhere, man. His, His control is everywhere. And unfortunately, last year you could make the argument saying, well, he's only averaging, you know, about like two, or what was it? He, uh, He lost six or seven outings last year where he allowed two or fewer runs. Right. He just couldn't get run support. Right. That's not the case this year. Yeah, and Brad Keller doesn't exist oh my goodness brad brad keller kind of the auxiliary young guy cause he's only what like 24 25 at this yeah, point yeah he's still in that in that range well you can chalk him up again as someone who you know, people say no, he could be an ace he could be a Cy young guy i don't know if i was that high on Keller coming in but i said like he's probably oh, our ace at two the moment or three, yeah yeah but yeah. He's, he's he's a good team's two or three but yeah. again he's playing like a five maybe a bullpen uh, guy uh, yeah, for a lot dude, of teams he's right a minor
1: now. leaguer right now the way he's pitching like he, he the other day when he let him they let him start I like, this guy
0: looks shaken. He looks shook right now. He's looking shaken since opening day. Yeah, yeah. It's It's been bad. He's been getting shelled, and we thought it was injury. He hasn't been optioned to Omaha. He hasn't been put on the uh, injured reserve list, which has been the case for a lot of people this year. Right, and people
1: in like critical points with losing Ben Attendee at the time we did. It's the worst thing possible. Absolutely. I remember my train of thought was that Cal Eldred, we have a whole nother season to see if Cal Eldred can turn the ship around. And if he can improve these numbers, they're going to have to be pretty drastic. Oh, yeah. But if he can turn this around, if I could see Brady Singer is like a 10 and 10 by the end of the season... And he's pitching like that, number two, possibly number one, gets in his head gets, you know, gets his head right. Yeah, I, I would say we can keep Eldred. He proved that he can he can turn it, but if he can't turn it around, we can't keep him after this year, dude, because these pitching prospects, we looked at it right before a podcast. Released. Bobby Wood is number seven. Daniel Lynch is number
0: twenty one. And all of baseball, mind you. This, is, and all this of baseball. is
1: all of baseball. This is the top one hundred prospect list in baseball. And Daniel Lynch is 21, Ace is 22, Coars 96, and Bobby Witt is number 7 overall. That has to produce results, especially going forward. If we're going to if you're going to do anything in free agency at the end of the season because let's be honest, we're probably not going to even sniff the playoffs this no. year, sign somebody who could be an ace, pay that person there's got to be a pitcher out there that wants to come here and help mold the talent around us. But
0: I mean, that's the problem is that premier number two, number one pitching arms on the market are so much more expensive than finding someone like Santana or Benintendi that it's like, that's I can true. get you at a value still. Good point. I mean, look, look what we saw. We literally had to quite sorry, quite literally sell the farm back in 2015 to get someone like Johnny Cueto. Right. You know, th- we, we sold off three dudes that were in the vein of like a singer, Bubich and Coar to get him. Now Finnegan. ironically Finnegan, Lamb, and who was the third? Lamb and oh man, was it was it another arm? It was another arm. It was three
1: arms. <sighs> it was Finnegan, Lamb, Damn, I can't remember the third one for the life <sighs> of me. It's going to kill me. We will we'll have to look it up later, but yeah, that and that trade But see that trade uh, changed the landscape of the team and and, and the pitching. The starting it has. pitching.
0: Well, so I I want to talk a little bit more on prospects later on in the show right now, Uh, but we'll come back to that. We still got to talk about Daniel Lynch and Justin Kohar so far Mm. because they have been disastrous. I mean, we're we're talking. They they didn't come into the hype with like Ryan Leaf level expectations. <laughs> like these guys are gonna lead us to championship after championship.
1: Twenty one overall in the top one hundred for Lynch. Oh that's my a, goodness, that is that's
0: formidable. Oh, yeah, okay, that, that's pretty close. That's that's very close and. Dude, being on that list. I'm gonna ask you here. I need you to uh, grab something soft so you're not gonna like, you know, uh hurt your hands, gripping a desk. Yeah. I've got some very sad statistics to uh, share with you. It's here. fine. Go ahead, because I have some thoughts. Daniel Lynch through three games, eight innings pitched, fifteen point seven five ERA, yep. eighteen hits, fifteen runs, seven strikeouts, four walks. Okay.
1: So and then if you look at his minor league stats in uh, AAA before that he was not pitching that well. So I'm look I'm sitting here going okay yeah he's got an ERA in the f- mid to high fours in AAA. Well mm-hmm. oh, we're gonna call him up.
0: No, I <laughs> no. Well we all know that the Lynch call up was a knee jerk reaction. We I don't know why they felt the need to put Junis. Into the bullpen when he was very serviceable as the back end starter, and heck, Junis isn't even in the bullpen any now. He's back down at Omaha, and you can't tell me Junis in this rotation right now to be any worse than what we're dealing with. He had control. He, He did. He had control of his pitches. He had knowledge of what to
1: use. And he was starting to put it together, and then th- that's to see this is that's just
0: inexplicable decisions by this coach, this 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 uh, player personnel and coaching. Well, that's a really good point. It really calls into question those guys specifically because I mean, some people are trying to connect the dots here. You know, finding Pepe Silvia and saying the reason he got <laughs> sent to the bullpen, thank you, and sent back down to Omaha is because there was that article that came out. You remember about him developing a cutter with his brother.
1: <laughs> yeah, Carol. <laughs> uh, okay, yeah, I'm. I'm yeah, I'm. the fact that he has to do that is insane. How is the how are how are our pitching coaches not helping this young man develop another pitch in his arsenal?
0: Well, and it's bringing up the questions of is Cal helping players develop pitches? Is he saying stick to what you know and don't be aggressive with it? Mm-hmm. Because if somebody brought up in Bubich's last outing, Salvi called for Boobich to throw a uh, curveball against John Carlos Stanton okay and you know Stanton's dangerous and he's like dude my curveball is my worst pitch that I have that I can throw and Salvi's like I need you to throw this bottom corner he was able to induce the inning endi- sorry the inning ending ground out and it's all because Salvi's like trust yourself throw this strike throw that curveball you know, trust you
1: him Trust Salvador Perez. Yeah. Let's talk about Salvador Perez, how he is. We're 33 and 43, Reese. We should be way down below that. But when Salvi's hitting two home runs a game and, you know, uh, you know, he's providing gold glove defense and throwing out base runner, just doing everything he can. And not only that, he's molding the minds of these young pitchers. And, are they not trusting Salvi? I haven't been seeing them shaking him off or anything. It's It seems like Salvi's like, hey, throw this here. Throw this pitch at this point here. And they're just missing. hmm and, uh, and, you know, Salvador Perez has led a pitching staff, a very mediocre to above-average pitching staff, to a championship.
0: Oh, Yeah. Well, it's just like that island talk you had earlier. It's like, guys, Edison Volquez and Chris Young were no world beaters. Yeah. They just came in, and you knew what you are going to get every game for them. It's he- like, we're going to give you six innings to pitch before yeah. we bring in the closers. Yeah, Just keep it under, like, three to four runs. Yeah. Everything will be A-OK. But that's not the case right now. And. You know, I, I hate to keep moving on here because there's so much I just want to rant. But it's all good. But moving on, we got to talk about Coar just a little bit. And Coar's right. numbers again. Grab something soft. Uh, very similar to Lynch's here. Yeah. In Three games. Yeah. Five innings pitched. ERA of eighteen. Eleven hits. Ten runs. Two strikeouts and five walks. I saw his first strikeout. I saw the A start where he
1: just got shelled, and they just basically pulled him before things could get horrible. Just another case of, uh, like you said, knee-jerk reaction. Just thinking, oh my gosh, push the panic button, call up this prospect now. Pitching's different than hitting, man.
0: Pitching's different than position players. Well, and why would you call him up on the road at altitude in Los Angeles? <laughs> why wouldn't you bring him up to, to to Kauffman, where there's so much more field and it's so much harder to hit dongs out right. there, you know? It's <laughs> it's crazy. I don't know. Interesting to Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um,
1: that's a good. That's a great point, Reese. Is, is why wouldn't you strategically call up your prospect and put him in the best place possible? Say you go to Seattle. He's in. We're in Seattle. That is a a pitcher's park. You know, some some place like that. You know, not drop him, like you said, right into uh, he pitched against the Angels.
0: Dude, in the belly of the beast of that order, even without Pujols, they still got Otani. They still have uh, dude, uh, Rodone, Is that who I'm thinking of? Uh, uh Rendon. Rendon, excuse Anthony me, yeah. No,
1: Otani hits that baseball, man.
0: And he's terrifying. He's like he six five, and he so holds his bat like a praying mantis, yeah. ready to strike, Seriously. dude. The way he's
1: talk about tani all day that home run he hit off uh wasn't Coar; it was uh was it Bubich or I can't remember take your pick for <laughs> yeah he hit so many of that series and then Trout isn't even in that lineup and you know no. like and, and yeah why would you ever put a up you know prospect in his first career start against Shohei Otani? it's like you're gonna be fine no no Oh my goodness! And I mean, not only that, but they have a very underrated roster too. I think pitching is their problem, but I mean, they're still in the wild card hunt too.
0: That's not like Aren't they're just they? a
1: bunch of scrubs. Yeah, that so entire AL West is hard. Yeah. Oh man, they're so good. Like Seattle has Seattle is a good example of how to treat your prospects. Kyle Lewis, Jared Kelenic, right? Two two young outfielders, pretty much like Bobby Witt. You know where they are five tool players. And, you know, they're kind of cocky. They have a little attitude. They have a little, you know, swagger to them. And they let them sit in the minor. They, they did basically what the Royals are doing with Bobby Witt. But at the same time, man, like, they're pitching as well. They they teach, they preach control. From what I've read, I've read about their pitching staff. You know, the pitchers come in and they do well because they're not trying to throw overthrow. They're not trying to strike people out. They're just trying to make sure that they can get through five to six innings. And do their job. And Eldred, I don't know what he's just saying. Go out there and throw it, kid. I don't know, man. Well, I, I don't believe he's saying go out there and throw. No, I think he's, I don't think he is
0: either. I think he thinks that he can think one step ahead of every batter in Major League Baseball right now, and that is why we're having such a hard time throwing strikes. Hmm. And I mean, I, look at guys in our bullpen even. Stalmont, who was just like a stone-cold killer last year with his heat. His velocity's down. His placement is everywhere. And he can't get a strike to save his life right now. He's a, not a shell of his former self, but he's not the flamethrower we signed up for this year maybe there's so many cases where
1: it just it seems like there's a mental issue on this team where's
0: this what's the solution for that uh clear house in the coaching at the end of the year i mean it's it's something we have to consider at this point considering this is an entirely new era of royals baseball with you know a owner who says he wants to win yeah and definitely definitely shows he wants to win Yeah. He's he's willing to spend. This isn't back like in the days when I was reading an article about how the the Royals ran out of money to sign players midway through a draft. Did you ever hear about that? I did not hear about that. Oh, my goodness. It was... I mean, we're we're past that period. You know, the glass days are over. But... You know, I just don't want to be heading into a new dark ages with the Kansas City Royals. Oh, yeah,
1: absolutely. That's what I, you know, I don't want to watch, you know, like you you want to mention those dark eras. Watch Jermaine die. Watch Johnny Damon. Watch Carlos Beltran. Watch all these players that you watch watched flourish and develop. Just leave and not even have an opportunity to sign them. If we can come into an era where... <laughs> My, the only example I have uh, in current roster uh, is Solaire. Say he actually would have hit this year. Oh gosh. Say he actually you know exists this year. Uh, and yeah, I'm gonna be harsh on him, dude, because he's he's he's. It's like he's just in another world. Like he can't. Maybe he'll figure it out. Maybe he won't. Yeah, I trade him. Figure out if you can get something for him. Do whatever you can. Keep him and then let him go. I w- I was high on signing him and now I'm like
0: not gonna happen
1: yeah and um i i know and and that's that's the thing is
0: what's is that hitting coaching i mean again i don't know the fact that they're so inconsistent the fact that he could have taken such a big step back the fact that dozier could have taken such a big step back this year all i know is we got a bunch more about coaching we're going to talk about in the second half of this episode when we return with more fountain city sports media That's right. It is This Week in Craft Beer, the part of the podcast where we talk about what's going on in the craft beer world, and we also review a delicious beer every episode. Now, this week, as many of you may have noticed, uh, we are starting to come on the other side of this whole COVID issue, at least knocking on wood right now. It seems that way. I hope that way. Uh, Noah here is... He's nodding. He's in agreement with me. Uh, But what's going on is that, you know, it's, it's not as simple as just resuming life the way it was we we touched on marvel earlier what's going on with covid right now in so many different industries is the same thing post like what are they calling it the blip yeah where people were gone for four years but like they're back like that's kind of what covid is like you can't just go back to how (laughs) things were functioning it's like stuff's changed yeah yeah life is definitely different now
1: you know Uh, uh it's so weird thinking about it now it's not weird at all seeing people with masks on still you know like it's like okay well that person's still taking it seriously mm-hmm. you know i'm not scrutinizing anybody for their decisions there um but you know a year and a half ago two years ago i can't even see that's the thing is time is like <laughs> passes
0: differently in the post-covid era yeah yeah And, you know, it's the the way we live, the way we socialize, the way we gather, the way we consume are all just different than they were. And The Atlantic actually just put out an article that was kind of talking about the difficulties of not just craft breweries, but bars and other locations where craft beers are served. And just the hardships they're running into, you know, both keeping beer in stock, you know, they said, because people are still so wary to come out, some places can't get that beer sold in time, so it's going off it really is a different landscape out there and i thought it brought up a lot of a lot of interesting points you know some states are out gung-ho full force the way things were but hatik Mondo was just telling me back when he was in los angeles doing a gig a few weeks ago he's like places are still patio only there you know like people congregate inside happy masks at all time it's a very small amount of people actually going out you know results may vary and that makes you
1: think about you know i want to say that you know it's as severe as it as as they made it to be or it wasn't as severe as they made. we had so little we still have so little information that has been provided to us at a certain point it just stopped and i feel like it was what during the election and it's like well what are we do we fear it now do we not and you know you see those. these the varying people that some people like you said that are gung-ho just never cared about it to begin with and people that are still like i'm still gonna wear a mask i'm still gonna be careful i mean and the difference you know la and then you have here in the midwest where i worked in a high traffic area for a while and i mean it was 50 50 man i don't know la they're cautious regardless right because there's so many people there Mm -hmm. right just like new york was basically a ghost town for months yep and you know out here you know once they removed the mask mandate no i i'm fully vaccinated i didn't wear a mask because i knew that where i was people were going to do what they were going to do regardless of what you know the rules were and Mm -hmm. now it doesn't it's just take your choice
0: and, and that's really throwing a wrench into how things are being sold right now. Like the statistic that was brought up that I've heard around Boulevard too is that like back in 2019, uh, a little over half of beer sales came from what they call on-premises. You know, it's like if you were at a bar, you're at Kauffman Stadium, you know, you had a beer garden or something like that. It's a little, little bit more than 50-50 between on-premise and off-premise, you know, like mm-hmm. home consumption and just buying from the grocery store. But when COVID first hit and places couldn't open, it's like, There was nothing to be had of on-premise sales. You know, everything had to be off-premise and through your grocery store, through curbside pickup to bring home, all that stuff. Mm -hmm. But some sales were through the roof for some companies for that.
1: Yeah, I'm sure Boulevard went through the roof for that. I mean, we adapted
0: just like everybody else. We had a curbside pickup. And I mean, I, I heard sales were were pretty good all things considered we yeah, were very, very fortunate
1: the, the the unfortunate thing was that people were in quarantine and had nothing to do and were drinking and you know uh, enjoying themselves a lot more because they were alone in their house the whole time you know so they'd go to the grocery store and get up some beer and and you know boulevards I, the best in Kansas City in I my opinion not
0: not even not even comparable you know, uh, well, if, if you want to go back to what we were talking about last week too, and the concept that people are drinking higher ABV stuff at a lower overall volume in their homes, might have to be have some correlation with last. You know, people saying, "Well, I don't know if I can spend a whole bunch of money on a thirty pack, or you know, even like a twelve pack of something. Right. So I'm going to get a four pack, a six pack of this craft beer and just like really enjoy it at home when I can." Yeah, yeah you just yeah, that and you know that's
1: that's a good way to. People are are starting to like monitor themselves. They're starting to make sure because like you said, higher APV beers are they're they're kicking the head. They're kicking the teeth. They'll get you.
0: So when I was at the liquor store earlier, before I came over here, I saw they had like one of those twenty ounce mega stonky tall boys, and I believe it was a triple imperial IPA oh, from New Belgium. Geez. I'm like, oh my gosh, twenty ounces of like it was like a nine percent or I think I said it saw and I'm just like, that's incredible. It's How like would you do that by right yourself? There, basically, basically. Yeah. Well, one thing that has not changed, thankfully, is the concept of good friends sharing good beer together. <laughs> And uh, this beer is gonna be pretty special for me. Uh, this week we'll be reviewing Dunkel from Guller Brewery, and I'm very excited because one of the first beers that No and I shared together when I moved to Kansas City was Dunkel. It was Casey Bierko's Beer infamous Dunkel. The crack of beer. <laughs> we got into that beer before they were even bottle distributing, right? Dude. It, it was just kegs, and we and we didn't even know
1: like what we were getting. And yeah, that beer is man. We had like a lot that we had a couple we had more than a few that night because and they and you know the thing is like dunkel uh the casey beer co dunkel is light and like Mm -hmm. it doesn't you know it doesn't it you can have four or five of them you know and they're not gonna you know you're not gonna be
0: stumbling home but i have a feeling this sucker is gonna be a little bit well stronger surprisingly surprisingly this is a half liter bottle and it is only 5.2 percent alcohol by volume so this all things considered is about a bud light so then
1: then then that just I think that what that proves to me who who knows so little about craft
0: beer is that Dunkles are actually lighter in APV by nature then. Well yeah, the the entirety of those lagers are designed, like you said, to be able to put back, you know, more than just one or two and calling it done. I mean we have a Keller pills right now in the beer hall of Boulevard that's only three point six percent. Okay. But it's so crisp and there's so much flavor to it. You're like, this is delicious. I could have, you know, more than two of these things if I really wanted to. So first off Good job on identifying that. Second off, <laughs> although we do not have traditional Munich-style dimpled mugs, Noah did grab these pint glasses that have like dimpled squares throughout yeah, them, checkered. So, so I think it'll do a pretty good job of imitating those dimpled stein yeah, glasses. Yeah, no, yeah. I wish we would have froze these, but yeah, yeah. Well, this is interesting. This is our first bottle we've done on the show that has one of those cages that are built into the bottle not like the twist off champagne ones you cork i'm talking like the water jug thing so i'm gonna try and open this one-handed never mind. i'm gonna do two hands hold on all right i'm gonna pour this bad boy out really quick noah uh while i pour this out what are you most excited about about this beer what i i mean it's from did
1: they did they say where the brewery's from uh this is from germany i don't have the exact place i i I can look up where
0: grill is located but
1: uh, as i i don't know i'm pretty sure armando said you know my last name but german germany is uh where my ancestors are from oh yeah germany uh, german beers my experience they're just they they're different They're just built differently, They're
0: built differently. They're like Volkswagens. (laughs) So, as you know, with all of our beer reviews and all of our episodes, we grade on five categories here. We have aroma, appearance, flavor, mouthfeel, aftertaste. And with each of those categories comes a scale of 1 to 10. So, without further ado, why don't we start off with number one, aroma. Noah, what do you pick up note-wise on this beer, giving it some sniffs?
1: Uh the hops it's a little bit dank there's a slight bit of bit you can smell the
0: definitely getting the getting a little bit of fruity notes yeah. from the uh the hops that's for sure
1: yeah definitely some fruity and
0: I'm picking up some, some caramel notes here giant. a lot of maltiness a little bit of breadiness
1: that's what it is it's the maltiness I, I, I can yeah
0: I think it's. I think that's what I'm getting most it's almost like a, a sourdough bread kind of smell it's got that little bit of tang to it
1: oh well, yeah wow yep that's so, what the, the Tang you
0: can definitely yeah not the not the astronaut beverage Tang but the other kind. <laughs> so bad jokes aside, no on a scale of one to ten, what do you give aroma on this? Six point seven. Six point seven. Okay, not your cup of
1: tea. <laughs> well, I like the smell. It's just not that strong. It's just very, 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 very uh, faint.
0: That's fair. I'll say. You know I, I i like the smell of this it smells crisp it smells uh earthy bready i think i'm going to give it as an 8.1 oh, 8.1 okay i'm i'm harsh then no it's okay we need harsh critics some say that our modern art are too nice now number two here I'm appearance harsh. uh what color is this beer what do you see going on there oh, what's it's
1: the- amber for sure right? yeah yeah it's clear you can see on the other side You can see pretty much clear through. There's not a lot of carbonate. There's not a lot of.
0: It it is surprisingly clear, all things considered. I've seen uh dunkles that are a little bit darker and a little bit more viscous than this. I mean, I I can I can make out there's a person on the other side of this glass if I had to. I can see the. Now your your glass had more head in the head in the pour than mine did initially, Mm -hmm. which I think that kind of surprised me because I know loggers can get a head on it. They can be crisp, but that thing came out of the bottle screaming, man! It was cascading. It's ready to go. Now, I've got a little bit of head retention that's just staying there. Residual, I would say, maybe at most a quarter of an inch. Uh, very fine with a few varying bubbles in there. Got a good lace. It's sticking to the glass pretty well. Yeah. I'm going to give the appearance of this beer. This is crisp, clean, and drinkable. I'm going to say this is probably an 8.9 for me. What about you?
1: 8.9? You know, I'll go in the 8 range. and say like an 8. 8. It'll just go straight up eight. I mean, straight it eight. is really good. Like, it, I can't wait to drink this dang thing.
0: Yeah, it's, it's going to be pretty exciting. I think that's part of my my good grade on it is the anticipation of drinking this. Yeah. So let's get going on there. Okay. Let's take a little sip and let's give it a, a flavor rating. <laughs> <Get>
1: that. <laughs> that's pretty good. That is crisp. There's a little bit of bitterness to it. But overall, man, that is just smooth and... The Multi, there's a lot. There's the maltiness comes through a lot in the first
0: part of the sip. I think crisp is a good word to describe it. Mm-hmm. It's a very subtle flavor. I wouldn't say it's quite as sweet as Casey Beerco's Dunkel.
1: Yeah, There's kind of a. Oh
0: but <laughs> you get some nice caramel notes in there. I think you know, a little bit of roasted malt. Uh, overall, I'm not getting a whole bunch of hop in there, which is kind of interesting. Really? Well, one last sip.
1: I was gonna say I've been getting a pretty decent amount of hop at the at the end of it.
0: Okay, upon critical upon critical sipping, I'm getting some hop in there. Okay. Yeah, okay. I think I was just so taken aback by the crispness and the maltiness of it that I was missing the forest for the trees.
1: And seeing that sip, the hops were very light. Mm-hmm. So I mean, maybe it's it's, it's varying, but
0: depends yeah. what you're looking for. Yeah. What do you grade this flavor wise, dude?
1: I'm gonna go off on this. Like I, I this flavor, like. I could kill. Even with it without the sweetness of the dunk it doesn't matter. Like it's still this is a 8.9. 8.9. 8.9.
0: All right. I think I'm going to get at this uh, a little bit lower. I'm going to say it's probably an 8.2 in my book. Okay. But I'm I've said it before I'm picky on my Pilsners. I'm picky on my lagers in general. This one's this one's good. It definitely holds up, but it's not blowing me away. I I've, ha- I've had some beers from you know their home countries over in Germany, over in Belgium that are you know imported and, like they taste international. This beer doesn't quite kick into that gear of tasting international for me. If that makes any sense.
1: It it does, actually. Well, to me, it does.
0: All right. So, can we make sense of the mouthfeel of this beer?
1: The mouthfeel's pretty strong, man. Like, it kind of dries out your your mouth a little bit. and
0: the... I agree, actually. There's not a whole lot of carbonation, surprisingly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's... Uh, I think it's a very light mouthfeel. I'd liken it to water. That's not that's not a bad thing. I mean, for those for those of you playing at home, uh, you know, you usually grade different consistencies of mouthfeel. Though, know, like, like a thick one could be like milk. A medium body is kind of like juice. A light one like water. This, this is more like water. Which again, if this is following the Reinheitsgebot, it's going to be mostly four ingredients. You know, so not a whole bunch hiding in there. Uh, what do you give a grade on the mouthfeel?
1: You know, it's not the worst. It's not the best. I'd say it's about a eight point one.
0: 8.1? Yeah. I think I agree with you. I think it's a, a little uninspiring for me on the mouthfeel. Nothing crazy. It does kind of dry you out and tickle the sides of your tongue a little bit. I'm going to give it a 7.7.
1: Okay. All
0: right. Last but not least, aftertaste. How does the flavor of this beer change after breathing out a little bit and letting it sit for a second? Malt. Getting malt?
1: A lot of malt. Caramel. A lot of a little bit of the caramel you are talking about. And then the hop comes in at the kind of like, as you continue to drink it, the hop starts to, to show up a little bit more.
0: I was going to say, I, de- I definitely get more of the hop flavor with like a few residual breaths than I get going down. It's, it's malt going down. It's the hop bitterness coming back up for me.
1: It's, a, it's For me, it's all, I mean, I've been killing it, but it's like every, all of that combined right now at the point where I am with the beer, it's like I can taste the ho- the the malt, the hops, and um, the the caramel. So,
0: there's kind of a mystery thing in here that I didn't want to touch on because I didn't want to like knock it too hard. But it's kind of a combination between the mouthfeel and the aftertaste of this it gives me the sensation of having rinsed with hydrogen peroxide, <laughs> both in like the tingle on the sides of the tongue, <laughs> yeah, and also kind of the flavor. It's interesting. It's interesting.
1: It's getting bitter the more aftertaste. I get too, which
0: is which is fine. That's gonna be kind of a German hop thing. Mm-hmm. I'm gonna say for aftertaste on this, it's probably a seven four. Yeah, I'm gonna
1: give it. A, I'm gonna give it a seven straight up. It's it's not great. Yeah, I mean it, it's it's still this is saying not great. You know, like as a critic, as a critic, well, as, at the moment, as a critic, you know, still this is a good beer. Like we're we're not. It's just not, it's really not what we were expecting, was it?
0: No, it's a little bit surprising. I've had a few different dunkles in my time, and this is, uh, you know, it's in the category, but it's got some different notes to it as opposed to some of the other ones I've had. So, as we always have, our secret category, which, man, I need to think of an acronym on the fly here, Um, our secret Big Stonks Drinkability Quotient, BDQ, also known as Bunt Dyson, quite nice. Yeah, sorry, Kyle's not here. Amanda's not here. I got to do the acronyms in the fly. So, uh, BDQ on this guy. What emotions does this beer invoke in you? Does it make you want to like you know climb a mountain? Does <laughs> it remind you of simple times on the lake <laughs> up in the you know wh- what thoughts come to your head for this?
1: Uh, it reminds me a lot of the Casey Beer Co. Dunkel. In certain ways, so I could see us having like two of these and then being like, all right, let's let's get another beer.
0: I will say that's, you know, I'm going to stick with that for my BDQ as well. The, this is a very drinkable beer. And even though it didn't blow me away with a lot of the categories, the fact that its drinkability is so high and it's not dangerous or anything like that, I mean, that's where beer came from. In the days before pastry stouts, Twinkie stouts, you know, those kind of things, there was just simple four ingredient beer that you could drink and be social and be coherent. And that for me mixing that with the the less than ideal qualities of this I'm going to give it a BDQ of an 8 straight 8.
1: Okay. Yeah, I mean say you're in a bar, you we're walking around Germany, we walk into a bar, this is all they got in there.
0: Drinkable. Yeah, we'll we'll drink this all night.
1: Yeah, it's it's it, it, eight. I'll go with you on a straight 8. It's 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 straight it's, it's definitely crushable, man.
0: Here's to drinking delicious crushable beers with my boy Noah. Mm.
1: Shoot on the podcast.
0: Great time, Sharon dunkle with my dude, Noah Metzger. We got a few last things to talk about in regards to the Kansas City Royals. But before that, we are a Kansas City sports podcast, although we are not featuring them on this week's episode. It would be gauche of me not to mention the success of our boys sporting Kansas City over the last week and a half. They yes. took a huge, decisive victory over the Colorado Rapids Taking three points out of that match and then embarrassing LAFC and Alan Pulido doing what I said he would do and proving he's the best player on that field, let alone in the whole league. They took a 2-1 come from behind win over MLS darling LAFC. So, Noah, I know we have a, it's, it's a hard time finding these games on TV online now because of the whole Valley Sports fiasco. I missed that game. I'm so frustrated. I can tell you what, the highlights were great. Uh, Pulido had like a chunk taken out of his ankle, quite literally, from like a stupid high cleat call. Yeah, I'm going to have to see that. Stitched, sutured, I think he's going to be okay. Knocking on woods, not, you know, some sort of ligament damage because, man, Alan Pulido is playing at a different level. I don't think we've ever had a player on our team, you know, play at the level he is. Although Daniel Shallowy has entered the chat, baby. See, Shallowy was one of those things. Was he had a tough year last year, and through the
1: whole COVID thing, yep. right? He couldn't get it going. But man, he's just been developing and developing and developing. And they keep well. They had him as a sub, and they'd bring him in, and he'd he'd have he, his good games would outweigh his bad games. But yeah, no, he's a winger, right? Yeah, he's mm-hmm. a he's a, and he's got lots of speed. But Polito, the hype is real and it was real when we got him and it was you know it was real. everybody was like, oh well, who
0: knows? No, he's he's a man among boys. And I take back what I said earlier because I had those kind of you know lingering thoughts of like well, how badly does he want to play? He always seems to be kind of injured or dinged up. Can he play through it? I'm sorry. I was wrong. He does want to play. he does want to show he's the best in the MLS and he's gonna kill it for the Mexican national team. I think the emergence of Daniel Shallowy is going to help if yes. we do lose Luca Busio, which is looking more and more likely. With all that said, this team is an uh, example of
1: how you develop young talent. Yes. Because we now have, what, farm system kids coming in and just absolutely killing it now?
0: Mm-hmm. Off the top of my head, I think it's 11 farm system kids are on the roster.
1: Because we... I mean, I used to deliver to the practice field. And then that is what, that's a U.S. national facility over by Legends. Mm-hmm. Yep. And Gold Cup games. These kids are, these kids are practicing five to six hours a day, dude.
0: Have you ever been to a sporting game?
1: I've never been to a sporting game. Oh my gosh. I we think got- that's a, yeah, well, the season is still, it's, it's just begun,
0: baby. Oh yeah, friends of the podcast. We got to get Noah <laughs> out to a sporting game. Show yeah. him, show him a I Caldron. went to a
1: Sounders game. Really? Yeah, I went to a I went to a couple Sounders games when I lived out in Seattle, and they would literally have a parade from where the bars are all the way through the streets up into the stadium. I've and, seen that, and they go crazy out there. They love the Sounders. Yeah, a lot of it's a very multicultural, uh, diverse uh, city, so soccer is a big deal. They were singing; they have songs already written about it. I'm mean, sure the KC's Sporting KC is what the Home of Developmental Soccer in the United States. Oh, yeah. Or the Kansas City is that facility.
0: Forget what the MLS commissioner said that St. Louis is now the soccer capital of the United States because he probably said the same thing about Austin like two oh, months hey, ago. Batman. I'm sure St. Louis is like, you say that to all your expansion teams. Yeah. And he's like, don't worry, baby. I've never said that to anybody yeah. but you. He's like Roger Goodell. It's Forget like, the what? fact we got a giant mural that says Soccer Capital of the United States and <laughs> power and light. <laughs> How many championships do we have? Oh. Yep. Uh, well, long story short, we're going to keep up on uh, Sporting Kansas City throughout this year. Because speaking of Seattle, we are within two points of them in the tables. I know. They're, our rival- they're one of our rivals, aren't they? They're, they're one of our rivals. Yeah. yeah and they're good. Yeah. I mean, they're, they're undefeated. Not saying they haven't... Wait, not saying they've always won, but they, they have not lost yet. But we're within two points. That We've played more of a match, but within two points, they're not going to go undefeated all season. Mark my words. Oh, no. No, no, no. Well... So now from the sublime back to the ridiculous, we have to finish up our conversation today about the Kansas City Royals. And what we left off, we were talking primarily about the pitchers, the young pitchers, and their lack of development, particularly in issues of command. Now, Kowar is kind of the poster child for this because when he was in A, he seemed he seemed ready to be called up. I mean, he was cooking. His command in particular was one of his strengths. And I mean, he had an ERA going under two.
1: Yeah, and when you're throwing at that velocity and you have control, it's unhittable, you know. Um, but uh, it's it's kind of inexplicable how he just self destructed. Yeah, uh, and like you said, he was not put into a favorable position immediately, you know, to have to face that lineup in that team. And we need we were probably a team that we we needed that series to keep keep our momentum going, and mm-hmm. you know, so. I It's just... Like I said, player personnel. We're going to get into player personnel and coaching now. You know, I just had the dunkle. I just slammed a dunkle. It's time to slam dunkle all over these coaches. Oh, gosh! In Kansas City. He's he's ripping and rearing and ready Ooh. to go. Oh, gosh. I'm frothing and foaming. I, you know, I, I don't have... And we don't have answers. We don't have answers as fans. And I don't know if that I'm sure that nobody knows the exact inner workings of how a hitting and pitching coach, you know, uh, does their job with teams. But I've got to think that the media knows a little bit about it, man, to, to be able to be like our hitting coaches are like, what are they saying when it's a mental thing? That's coaching. Mm hmm. That's coach. And this is the, the, if anything, this team shows that it is mental because you have us just tanking and then Witt all of a sudden is just clicking it into gear, man. Yep. Witt Merrifield starts looking like, you know, Witt Merrifield. And <clears throat> what maybe if
0: it really kind of seems like Wit did that himself. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I, I think Witt's one of the few. Self-sufficient players in this team, I'd say Witt, Salvi, Benintendi, and Santana. Santana, Yeah, they're four self-sufficient players. They can get themselves out of a funk they're in. That's a thing. But what's so confusing for me is the fact that Coar lost his golden goose of command when he came up. Right. A lot of our pitchers, particularly our bullpen guys, Have command issues. As I mentioned, we have the highest walk percentage in the American League. And uh, when we played the Yankees, they walked 11. I will which is the sixth time this season they've walked eight or more batters in a game, which is double the amount of games they did from 2014 and 2015. When is the point when you change something? When that happens? When that
1: continuously happens? That is unacceptable. Five walks in a game for a pitching staff is absolutely ridiculous. (laughs) Over double
0: double digit walks, you said six times, six times this season. That We're is only halfway pa- through the season. That's pathetic. It's it's awful. And it, again, you can't get guys out if you don't throw them strikes. Yeah, pitch That's, to contact. It's just a thing. I one thing I remember from 2015 so much was that we would induce a lot of double plays. That was one of our yeah. bread and butter things. We we didn't outside of Jordano Ventura and when we had Johnny Cueto later on down the road. Right. We didn't have anybody who was throwing heat. We had guys that would induce groundouts, get themselves out of jams. Well, the problem right now is we have batters that can't bat with people on base, and we got pitchers that can't pitch with these people on base. Yeah.
1: Yeah. It, it 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 you remember watching those runs, they were throwing pitches right down the middle, but they were, you know, they were strategic, you know. They were they were pitching to contact, which when you are struggling as a pitcher with your command, that is what you were told to do, and it makes me think What is he saying to them? He's like, no, don't pitch to contact because they're going to hit the ball out of the park. Like, there's no way that a pitching coach, like, like you have to, there's got to be, that's mental. 11 walks in a game is a mental thing where your players do not trust what you are telling them. They do not have the confidence to go out there and perform their jobs. And when you are called up to the major leagues, it is your job to try and go out and win a baseball
0: game. Well, and it'd be one thing, too, if these walks were like fringe ball four. It was like, ah, great pitch, he just didn't bite ball four. We got a lot of way high Salvi standing up to catch these things. We got a lot of wild pitch, ball-in-the-dirt ball fours. These aren't like not quite hitting your spot. These are just like laying an egg ball fours. And As we mentioned, we're getting the leadoff runner on base to start a lot of these innings a number of times, mm-hmm. particularly in that second game against the Yankees. How many times do we go ahead by one run and we couldn't hold the lead through the next frame. It was infuriating. And that's because
1: we have no reliable long uh, long relief. Yeah. We have no reli- reliable middle relief. We have no reliable long relief. We took Jake Junis and put him down in triple A. Sheepers. You know, one guy who could provide both of those things for us. And, you know, you just, what do you do as a fan? And, and, and somebody who, who analyzes the team.
0: Well, I can tell you it was paraphrased from the interview that Keller was talking about his struggles and how he's been talking to Cal Eldred about it. And Cal basically said, I don't know what to tell you. What do you mean you don't know what to tell him, man? What are you paid all this money to do? Tell him sweet little lies if it helps him get his head screwed on straight. I don't care at this point.
1: Jeez, man. Like, you have a picture in your... Your employee is going to their boss and being like, hey... I'm struggling at my job. I don't know what to do. What do I do? And your boss goes, figure
0: it out. Yeah, you ain't good, that ain't gonna fly anywhere else. When I take an aria to my vocal teacher, I'm saying I'm having trouble with this aria. I think it's fatigue issues. He goes, it's not fatigue. He's like, you're executing improperly in these segments. I'm like, well, how do I execute properly? He's like, well, you know how to execute properly. It's all about building your way up to the execution. He doesn't say, I don't know, sing better. <laughs> that's not how it works well I'm throwing more spaghetti against the wall and it Uh, seems like they're kind of coaching for their lives at this point so Danny Duffy's back off the injury list right? but he's going tonight they're talking about they're going to use him in a different role they've been using him they're not going to have him as our number one guy they're using him as an opener now they're going to run him two maybe three innings and then go straight to the bullpen well, I, I don't have an explanation for that, Reese. I don't have an explanation
1: for a lot of the decisions that have been made in this organization. And if I'm John Sherman, I'm sitting at the top in of my office, going, "What the hell is going on right now?" Well, why why are you got, What are you guys doing to this young, ta- this potentially young, talented, just bursting with talent, all over the place, veteran and young? What are these coaches doing? It's like we have a guy in Jake Junis who's pitching as a reliable three to four starter, and probably our ace at one point, which is extremely sad. Add on to the extremely sad, you know, things that we've talked about this pitching staff, and you put him in the bullpen. I I don't. And then you now he's in Triple A, and what his numbers didn't decline that much. He wasn't doing. You know, he wasn't getting worse from what I understood.
0: Nope. Well, the problem now is he's in AAA, co back in AAA, Lynch is in AAA. So primarily, our pitching rotation is Keller, Bubich, Singer, and this sort of amalgamistic Danny Duffy pitching in an opener position. Or that's it? That's it. Oh, and Mike Miner. Excuse me, we got Mike Miner there too. <sighs> Who was killing it until that one inning. And even then, he's struggling with command issues and lasting longer than five innings. You know, I, I don't know what the answer is for the situation. So I guess the first thing I'm going to ask is, I think I have your answer. <laughs> Do we get rid of Cal Eldred this season?
1: Oh, I I'll go back to the first part of the podcast. If he can turn this around, if he can show vast improvement in his pitching and say, this is my coaching style, yeah, but if this continues into July into August, you gotta fire him. You gotta let him go now. Let him go now. Don't even worry about it at the end of the season. When did we hire him? Like last
0: year? Twenty nineteen, I believe. It was. Okay, so he's been here for a while, man. He's the, been res- here.
1: the results are not there, and you're tearing apart our young pitching prospects. Like yes. I'm there. I didn't even I'm um, that's how bad of a fan I am. Is I do not even know he's been here.
0: I, I mean, I'm sure I remember it, but... Well, I think you could even argue some of the guys that have been here since so he's been here. Guys incredible. that have been called up like, uh, you know, Scogland, They never developed. Yeah. Some would say Jacob Junis hasn't developed the way we'd hoped he would. Same thing goes with Brad Keller. Showed some promise, but now he's taking a serious step back this year. You know, Brady Singer looks like a shell of himself. I'm just, I am just want to throw some gasoline on the fire here while we're doing it. Yeah. Valley Sports tweeted back in 2019, and it's, and it's recently resurfaced on the Royals subreddit. Uh, this is a quote from Cal Eldred. Providing exceptional regional cable journalism helped me become the current Royals pitching coach. That's a paraphrase, but again, it's quoting what he said.
1: I can, I have to control my language on here, dude, but what the fuck is that? What I mean, I,
0: I wouldn't be... I would not be an armchair quarterback talking about the Kansas City Chiefs. No, I would not be an armchair... Uh, Quarterback talking about supporting Kansas City. And they're like, hey, Reese, would you like to hop on and be our goaltending coach? I'd be like, you know what? Me and my 10 years of playing Rec League soccer know exactly how to make, you know, Pulse Camp the goalie of the future.
1: I've watched enough film of linebackers for the Chiefs. I can head in there and, you know, be their linebacker coach next year.
0: Yeah, I I know analytics. I play Madden. Yeah, I play Madden. Well, so obviously, you want Calendar gone, I think, at this point. I'm with you. We got to shake some up to get Callder gone. How far into the system do we clean house?
1: Well, uh, we we looked at the stats before the podcast. Witts hitting well in Double A. Mm -hmm. Prado's improved, and then continues to get better. And Nick Prado is a big deal. We need that. We get that power hitting first baseman with the young with Bobby Witt coming up. Like, that's a big, we could have a one-two punch. You have another Hosmer-Moose situation. Probably, maybe better than both of them. hmm Because, you know. But, uh, and uh you know, chemistry is another thing to me. It's like, this team has no chemistry, man. Not at all. No. Like, like these young guys could come in here and spark chemistry. Obviously not the pitchers. But if but um, I would have to say that Triple A and double A seem to be doing their jobs pretty well. Maybe look into double A as well. They're looking to firing the double or triple I mean triple A
0: manager, maybe look
1: into firing because
0: Well, here's what we gotta look further too, with that Bermuda triangle gap that happens between our triple A teams and when they get called up to the show. Yeah. I've seen it described a multitude of times that the Royals are the kings of finding quadruple A players. Just guys, you know, like destroy a triple. Guys like Ryan O'Hearn, you oh, know, the, yeah. light it up. And then the second you call them to the bigs, it's like they're shell-shocked. They have no idea what to do. Yeah. Why has this been the case over the span of the last 10 years, save for some players like Haas Moose and those guys? Yeah. I You know, I don't know. And, and, and it's like we were really
1: happy that Dayton Moore and John Sherman went out and spent some money on this team. They didn't get much pitching help. And now I think it's about at the end of this offseason, it's like, well, who is the most avail- the best available pitching? The best available pitcher, pitchers, you got to get something. If you can trade and get a trade going, I mean, you don't even need a pitcher that's going to be our ace right now. Get a young prospect. It doesn't matter. Just do something to, to, to help it. And, yeah, uh,
0: would you say that the hitting coach needs to go too? <laughs> I mean, I haven't been blown away by Terry Bradshaw. I don't think he's awful. I think the bats are inconsistent, and I'm very frustrated with the regression of Soler and Dozier this year. But, you know, some players are having career years. Salvador Perez is, you know, mashing the skin off of the ball. Whit Merrifield's been great over the last four years. I think that's less of an issue for me, but I think... I think if we had a decent league average pitching core, which we kind of expected from these young guys this year, I think we're much closer to five hundred. Yeah. Cleveland right now is about two and a half games behind the White Sox. I think would be probably three and a half, four games behind the White Sox, but you know, still within striking distance of that second wild card. I will repeat that ad nauseum. Yeah.
1: And not only that, you don't know how Singer would handle that. Mm-hmm. You know, you don't know how Lynch would have like all if you have established, you know, guys that can go out there and get you five not six, six, maybe seven and more. Somebody that can go out there and pitch into the sixth inning. Hopefully finish it. Because that's been our bane of our existence for... Forever? For seven years at least.
0: Well, then, my final question that wraps this whole thing up into one bow. Yeah. We have as many 100 lost seasons under Dayton Moore as we do winning seasons. Ugh. We also have, I believe, two 500 seasons under Dayton Moore. Mm. 2013, that was 500. Am I wrong? I think so. 2016 was 500. The one
1: after the World Series, we went 500 or we went close to 500. So my
0: big question is, is this the end of the road after a 15-year tenure for Dayton Moore? <sighs> Things do not show signs of considerable improvement after the All-Star break.
1: Whoa! I can't say it is, because I don't... But then again, I don't know what the leash is. I haven't seen anything in the media about them talking about... Like, you know, I haven't heard anything leaked or anything. Like, I... From what my understanding is of the inner workings, is that he's basically the, you know, prince right now. Sherman's the king, and he's the second in command, and it's it's his show. I would have to say... Next year, if you see this type of play and this type of coaching and mental issues for players going into it, yeah, he's gotta go, man. Like we need a we need a fresh start. Like we need a fresh I would let Matheny go too, because I'm not in love with Matheny and his decisions. He's allowed all these things to Cal
0: Aldrin to make these decisions. He's 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 approved them. I can tell you what I've noticed particular is that From the early years, I'm talking back mid-2000s, we got Dade Moore. That's when we had some guys in our system, like Haas, Moose, those kind of guys that wound up being the foundation and the cornerstone of those teams from 2013, 14, 15 that were so memorable. Since that time, we've either failed to develop talent or failed to identify talent. Because, long story short, outside one or two people, the talent has not developed at the major league level, which is where it comes down to brass tacks. Maybe you just see what Bobby Witt does. Well, Bobby Witt was... I mean... He's a number two overall pick. You know, there's expectations there. I wanted to say can't miss, but how many top five picks have we just completely whiffed missed, on since 2010?
1: Ace <laughs> Lacy's one of the, like, what, four, seven? When did he go... He was one of the top... Yeah. He still has a lot of promise. He's striking out people left and right, but he's struggling with his command and blah, blah, blah. He's young. He's in... He's not even in
0: double A yet. So we're still waiting on that. I'll throw you a tough question then. We finished with 92 losses this year. Is that the end of Dayton Moore's run? How anxious is John Sherman to win now? I, I don't know.
1: I don't know. I don't know. I haven't seen any type of actionable any actions towards these coaches now that are clearly just driving these kids into the ground, dude. Like, watch <laughs> watch Cal Eldred just just you know waste all the arms that we have right now and then go somewhere else and just become Cy Young or you know okay I won't say that Singer is one of the one that I think and Lacey I think from what I've heard he's a lefty too yeah Mm -hmm. he's nasty but watch them go out and be reliable dependable starters that can go start going six to seven innings you know there's just a bunch of what ifs Uh, from what I, I 92 92 losses
0: no don't think he'll be gone no i think he will i think uh john sherman has mentioned many times he wants to build a foundation similar to what cleveland's been doing and they're on pace to have their ninth winning season in the last 10 years not saying playoffs not saying winning world series but a contending ball club they're
1: they're around that well they only have what the 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 world series berth against the cubs
0: but because David Glass knew how to run a business to make money. John Sherman also knows a way to make money is build a winning franchise that people want to see, both in person and on TV. Imagine how much money Glass made those years we were
1: contending. Yeah. And then Sherman's like, if we can contend, if we can be a playoff team, you're going to sell out the Ka- Ka- Every weekend, Kaufman's going to sell out or be close to it, and you're going to see a significant sales increase in uh, weekday games.
0: Return on investment. Yeah, stonks to the moon. Stonks yeah, to stonks the moon.
1: to the moon, man. Get those prospects. Get them rolling. You know, we might see Bobby Witt by the end of this season. There is a
0: there is a lot of buzz about it. I'll bring back the Witt Watch jingle. Don't worry. Please do. Uh, yeah, I've got that thing in my sound library. I got it. Well, that's about all the time we have for this episode of Fountain City Sports Media. Noah, thank you so much for having us over here today and agreeing to do this on such short notice.
1: Oh, you're welcome, man. I'm glad I could just bash on the Royals coaching.
0: The the Bash Brothers? Yeah. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Let's bash. I'd like to thank you for joining us today on Fountain City Sports Media. This podcast is brought to you by listener support, so consider becoming a friend of the podcast. Check out our Patreon page at patreon.com backslash FCSM to gain access to premium content, including outtakes, bonus episodes, and exclusive beer reviews. Check out our website at fountaincitysportsmedia.com for more info on the podcast, social media, and of course, the goings-on in the beer industry. special thanks to bands carswell and hope and like a tiger for providing our intro and outro themes and as always i'm reese and alongside my good friend noah we thank you for tuning in to fountain city sports media